I'll be reading from Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is God's word. The title I picked, I thought for the sermon is, is The Dark Road to the Light, uh, because you see in this psalm somebody praying uh, from, from uh, a feeling of absurdity and futility and moving into clarity. And uh, it's a prayer that expresses doubt. Uh, it's a prayer uh, in the psalms, and the psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. Uh, they're not just the prayer book of the Bible, they were actually the prayer book of Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself uh, quotes more often from the psalms than anything else. Uh, so it's a beautiful psalm, uh, and it's uh, it's a very powerful psalm. You know, I want to tell you one of the hardest questions uh, to answer in Delhi these days. Uh, how are you doing? How are you doing? It's one of the hardest questions to answer. Uh, usually you just answer, fine, everything's fine. But we're not fine. Now, things are not fine. Nothing is fine. And uh, it's one of the hardest questions. I keep asking people, how are you doing? How are you doing? Just out of default. And I know it's such a tough question to answer because we're not doing well. We're stressed, we're overwhelmed, um, and we don't know what's going on. And 
I wanna I wanna take you to uh, this this first the first four words in this psalm. Surely God is good. Surely God is good. I wonder how you feel about those words now in these times. Wonder how you feel about surely God is good. And this entire psalm is a meditation on that. It's wrestling with that. Surely God is good. You know, there's a book I'm reading these days called Prayer in the Night. It's a beautiful book and it's probably the most appropriate book to read at this time. It's a book by Tish Harrison Warren uh, called Prayer in the Night. And in it, she talks about how she's heard hundreds, thousands, maybe thousands of sermons her life. And there's one sentence in a sermon that she heard that stood out for her and she'll never forget it. And that sentence is this. You can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. You can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you. And the first question you've got to ask in response is, well, then what can you trust him for? What can you trust him for? So I want to answer that question with three things that we can trust him for. We can trust him for his promise. We can trust him for his uh, purpose. And we can trust him for his presence. Three things. So first of all, his promise, this, this goodness of God, that God is good. He's good. Let me read a, a few uh, verses from this psalm. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on to list a number of doubts. He, he talks about how they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens, not plagued by human ills. And he goes on with this doubt after he's expressed that surely God is good. But here's what I see. Here's what I see. Here's what I'm looking at with my eyes. And I want to tell you three things about why we can trust this promise that God is good. Just uh, one is a very simple one. You know, this is an expression of doubt. And uh, now the first thing we must ask is, you know, uh, we must, first thing we must recognize about doubt is that it's complex. It's, it's not just intellectual, uh, it's personal. And this is a protest uh, 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 in prayer that comes from the heart. So the, the person who is bringing these doubts to God is, is belongs to the priesthood. So in, the, in modern terminology, this is a pastor's prayer. This is a pastor praying. A pastor who's wrestling with the goodness of God. This is personal. This is not some detached person for who lived, uh, who, who didn't believe that God is good before and lived accordingly. And for whom this is just an intellectual question and whether it's answered or not, life doesn't change. But for this person who's praying, if God is not good, then who am I? If God is not good, then what do I do with my, what, what do I do? My, my whole life is going to change. So this is a personal protest. And I want to see, I want you to see three things about why God, why God is good. So first of all, just, a, just a simple thing for you to think about uh, in terms of the question, uh, doubt as an intellectual thing. When we ask questions about justice and uh, suffering, we're, we're assuming expectations. We expect goodness. We expect justice. We expect peace. But 
if God is neither good nor is God real, then these expectations, where do they come from? Either they're simply biologically motivated for our evolutionary survival, or they are culturally conditioned. But only if God is good can we expect goodness. Can we rationally justify our expectations? Otherwise, they're just illusions. They're just desires that we have and preferences that we have. We want the world to be like this, but the universe is not like that. So only if God is good can we expect goodness. But the second thing I want you to think about is, is the God's goodness is the reason that the psalmist can question God's goodness. God's, God's goodness is the reason the psalmist can question God's goodness. This is a protest from the heart. Remember, it's a pastor's prayer to his boss. Now, what do leaders do when people protest? Either you wait for the protest to die out, you kind of ignore them, do something else, create another narrative, or, or you attack them and stomp them out and stamp them out, or you ban them. That's what leaders do. Because protests are, they, they threaten control. And doubts are like that. Doubts, doubts, the doubts scare us. Doubt, we're afraid of expressing doubts because it, it, we, we can't control it. It's like a fire is broken and you have to put it out. Whenever someone expresses, put it out, put it out, put it out before something happens. Doubt makes us feel like we're out of control. But God is good because when people express doubts, he's not intimidated. He's not insecure. We, we don't dethrone God with our doubts. In fact, when people, when, when, when uh, the priest expresses doubts to God, God in his goodness receives them, listens to them, hears them, and then he publishes them. He puts them in his book, says, this is my word. My people must know they can pray to me like this and I will hear them. I will not shut them up. I will not put them out. I will not stamp them out. That is not that. That is not what God is like. God is good. He hears our doubts. See, and I want you to know, you don't do this. When people doubt your motives, when people doubt your decisions, when people have doubts about you, you shut them out. We surround ourselves with cheerleaders. We want, we want our squad. Let's see, God is good. Leaders, it's not just politicians who shut out protests. We also do it. But God is good. He invites us. He invites us in. He says, you can, you can speak to me like this. The third reason we know that God is good is that this, the God's goodness is the reason the psalmist can question himself. He can question his own ways. Because look at this astounding thing he says here. He says, uh, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For I envied the arrogant. See, usually when we see injustice, we get angry. And it stops there. Anger is a very superficial emotion. It's, it's not, it's, it's a non-emotion. It's covering up something. It's usually under, underneath anger is usually fear or guilt or shame or uh, sadness. But see, in, in 
in seeing what he's seeing and that's 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 really an expression of doubt tim keller makes the point that uh, the opposite of faith is not doubt the opposite of faith is sight we see something and then we feel something and the psalmist sees he sees the prosperity of the wicked and he wants it i want that that looks good why don't i have it why am i stuck here in this it, and all of this is is absurd to the psalmist he sees this absurdity he sees this chaos he sees this this injustice and he feels this envy and he's able to see himself in his own heart in god's goodness see if the the goodness of god frees us to examine our own motives you can't do that unless you're you're in god's goodness and in in doing this the psalmist is actually being a true skeptic a real skeptic he's questioning the world he's questioning god he's even questioning himself and he's not afraid to do it so this is not lazy skepticism this is real skepticism real engagement and i want you to so my my point in this is as 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 god expresses his goodness to us we have the courage and the freedom to question ourselves and to hear questions from god and you know, one of the one of the biggest questions we are hearing is where is god in all of this you know where is god but i want to i want to remind you you know in, in genesis the first question that god ever asked human beings is where are you where are you that's the first question god asked us where are you and if we are going to express that we must invite god to ask us questions too where have you been where were you before the pandemic where will you be after the pandemic see pandemics happen once every 100 years this is just it's just we just happen to be living in the middle of a pandemic it happens once every 100 years so now the question it's going to pass it's going to pass but where will you be with god once it's passed we must invite god to ask questions we must uh, we must invite him to express his doubts about us but the second thing i want you to see that we can trust god for uh, besides his promise is his person uh, is his purpose is his purpose uh, let me read to you from verse uh, 13 onwards the psalmist says surely in vain i have kept my heart pure and i've washed my hands in innocence all day long i have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments if i had spoken out like that i would have betrayed your children when i tried to understand all this it troubled me deeply till i entered the sanctuary of god then i understood their final destiny surely you place them on slippery ground you cast them down to ruin how suddenly are they destroyed completely swept away by terrors they are like a dream when one awakes when you arise lord you will despise them as fantasies when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered i was senseless and ignorant i was a brute beast before you once again i just wanted to look at the audacity of this prayer look at the honesty of this prayer look at the 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 fullness of this prayer i mean i wish we had courage to pray like this i wish we could 
speak to God like this? And how good it is again to know that God takes these prayers, put them, puts them in the book that teaches us how to pray. But I want you to see what is going on here. See, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. He's he he looks at the absurdity outside, and he's feeling a futility inside. What's the point? What's the point of all of this? What's the point? What's the what's the point of meeting on a Sunday morning for a service? What's the point of uh, being a pastor? What's the point of all the work we do? What's the whatever you're responsible for? Whether you're employing someone or you're employed by someone or the work that you have you ever felt that? Just woke up in the morning, hard to get out of bed because you're asking yourself, "What's the point? What's the point?" There's this futility he's feeling inside. There's this purposelessness, and there's two questions I want you to think about that the psalmist is, uh, demonstrates for us. Is the first one is where do your doubts take you? And the second one is where do you take your doubts? Where do your doubts take you, and where do you take your doubts? See, look at look at what is happening here. The uh, when when the psalmist's doubts are highest, he is at his lowest. When, when his doubts get the best of him, everybody else gets the worst of him. So you see him. You see me. Uh, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Later on, he says, uh, "When my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you." See, doubt can't take you to any good places because doubts don't believe in goodness. Doubts can never take you to good places. because doubts don't believe in goodness they'll always take you to places that take more from you than they give to you and see one of the one of the most concerning things about the modern urban sense of identity is the kind of ultimate authority that is given to inward reality nothing matters more to us today than how we feel our feelings have ultimate authority over us this is very dangerous this is very concerning because your feelings and my feelings can lie to you feelings have the power to deceive and if we give ultimate authority to our feelings to something that can lie to us how will we know when we are deceived how will we know this is incredibly concerning and and so we we must be very careful about this and i want to read to you a passage from a from prayer in the night where she she describes her where doubts where her doubts take her so she has, she has what she says uh, when my own dark night of the soul came in 2017 Nighttime was terrifying. The stillness of night heightened my own sense of loneliness and weakness. Unlit hours brought a vacant space where there was nothing before me but my own fears and whispering doubts. 
I'd stare at the hard, undeniable facts that anyone I loved could die that night and that everyone I love will die someday. Facts we most often ignore so we can make it through the day intact. So I'd fill the long hours of darkness with glowing screens, consuming mass amounts of articles and social media, binge watching Netflix and guzzling think pieces till I collapsed into a fitful sleep. When I tried to stop, I'd sit instead in the bare night, overwhelmed and afraid. Eventually I'd begin to cry and feeling miserable, return to screens and distraction because it was better than sadness. It felt easier anyway, less heavy. Your doubts can never take you to good places because doubts don't believe in goodness. So the question is, where do you take your doubts? Where do you take your doubts? See, then the psalmist is showing us what your doubts, where your doubts can take you and what can happen, but he's also showing us how to overcome it. He's also showing us where to take your doubts. And he says, he says this, when my heart was grieved, so he says, uh, when I tried, verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny till I entered the sanctuary of God. I want to take you two places. I want to tell you two places you should take your doubts. Take it to the people of God. Take it to the presence of God. Take them to the people of God. Take them to the presence of God. How do you go to the sanctuary? Can you, I mean, we're in Delhi. In Delhi, we're in lockdown. We can't even get out of the house. Are you in a sanctuary right now? See, in the New Testament, we don't go to sanctuaries. We are the sanctuary. The people of God are the temple of God. And when we take our doubts to the people of God, we're taking, we're, we're, we, we ought to be taking our doubts to the safest place on earth to express them. See, we, we, and this is important because we live in a culture of doubt. We live in a If you have doubts, if you have questions, if you're seeking, you're cool. It's, it's, everything is fine if you're just asking questions and seeking. The moment you find an answer, that's the problem. You're allowed in this culture to ask questions. You're not allowed in this culture to find answers because then you're a fundamentalist. Then you're elitist. Then you're exclusive. So ask questions, okay. Find answers, no, sorry. But the best antidote to a culture of doubt is a community of trust. And whenever you see people lose their faith, if you walk back a few steps, you'll see they first left the community of faith. Anyone who leaves the community of faith, it's very natural to then the next, it's, it's kind of a bus, the, the, the next bus stop is losing your faith. The best antidote to a culture of doubt is a community of faith. Take your doubts to the people of God. And the second thing, take them to the presence of God. Take them to the presence of God. He, he goes into the sanctuary and you see even in the psalm, he's, he's meditating on the works of God. And look what he finds. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Now I want you to see nothing in his circumstances has changed. 
but he is he's got himself to see what god is like and i i wanted to when you when you think about doubt i want you to understand the relationship between trust and knowledge see the mind has appetites uh, has different appetites than the heart the 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 mind speaks the language of knowledge and information but the heart speaks the language of trust trust always 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 precedes knowledge see we, we think it the other way around see we think at first i need to get all the information and if it seems right then i'll trust uh, this is not how human beings work trust always precedes knowledge all the knowledge you have all the information you have simply reveals whom you trust now i want you to think about this a little bit more see why does fake news spread so much because the person who gets it has got it from someone they trust and you go to them with all these facts and all these articles and all these things that correct them no 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 i don't because they don't trust you they don't trust you this is how abuse works because once trust is given to a someone even if they know what i'm being asked to do is wrong they do it because someone is exploiting that trust trust is powerful and you think about so the question the psalmist is faced with is not uh i want to know what god knows he's not going into the into the, the into the sanctuary to get rational answers to his questions i want to know what god knows because some of us have that expectation i want to know what god knows before i do what god says i want to understand in my mind what god what god knows and then i might do what god says that's an unrealistic expectation in 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 but it's 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 a bit like you know a uh, uh having a, a my 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 laptop has 256 gb of memory and it's like taking that memory and putting it in a floppy disk now i've just revealed to you how old i am because i know what a floppy disk and some of you don't know what a floppy disk is but google it it'll tell you a floppy disk used to have 1 mb of data but that's what it's like this expectation i i, I as a floppy disk want to want to receive all this knowledge that's in this computer of 256 gb it's not it's not a realistic expectation i want to give you a more realistic expectation a more realistic prayer i would like to know what god is like before i before i do what he says i would like to know what god is like and the psalmist remembers what he's forgotten he remembers what god is like he remembers that god is just he's a judge and even if his judgments aren't coming in the time that he wants he knows god backed god will bring justice god will bring vindication but for us i want i want you to think about this because i want i want i want to show you what god is like I want to show you what God is like. I wonder, and that wants that takes us to the third thing that we can trust God for: His presence. We can trust God for His presence. Now, look what how the psalmist ends, verse twenty-three. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I want you, I want you to see a few things that have happened to the psalmist. I want you to see his foot was slipping, but now he's, uh, he's held by the right hand of God. His eyes were straying, but now they're fixed on the Lord. He was grieving, but now he's rejoicing. He was bitter, now he's tender. He was ignorant, but now he knows. He felt abandoned, but now he's feeling embraced. His heart was straying, but now it's full of strength. And you have, to, you have to see what he's done. He has tested the goodness of God. And now he's tasting the goodness of God. Now he's feeling it. Now he's, and, 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 and I want to focus just on this one, uh, the, the closing verse, because it mirrors the opening verse. See, the opening verse is, surely God is good. The closing verse is, but as for me, it is good to be near God. It is good to be near God. So, uh, if, if we can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to us, then what can we trust him for? I, wanna, I want us to reassess what are the best things and the worst things. Just to, to reassess and define what are the best things and the worst things. We live in a culture, we live in a time where the best thing is a life of pleasure. Every Instagram picture is of an exotic location uh, or exotic food in expensive restaurants with uh, beautiful people uh, doing wonderful things and, and the likes are soaring. Right? The, the best life, the best thing is a life of pleasure. Pleasure and, and getting what you want. That's, that's, that's the best thing. The worst thing, the worst thing is a life of pain and suffering where you don't get what you want. This is the worst thing. But I want us to reassess in light of scripture, in, in the economy of scripture, what, what is the best thing and the worst thing? See, in the economy of scripture, the best thing is to be near God. The best thing is to be in him. And the worst thing that can happen to you is to be separate from him. Is to be far from him, to be distant from him. This is... This, quite literally what heaven and hell is. It's the difference between heaven and hell. The presence of God and distance from God. The best thing is to be near God. The worst thing is to be far from God. How can, see, if you can't keep, if you can't trust God to keep bad things from happening to you, then why can you trust him? It's because he endured the worst thing so that you can receive the best thing. He endured separation from God so that you will never endure it. And you will receive the best thing. He will be near you. See, on the cross, Jesus cried out from the Psalms and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is God looking at Jesus, pointing at us and saying, because I cannot forsake them. I will not forsake them. And because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why the New Testament promises, in, God promises us in the New Testament, I will never leave you and never forsake you. I will always be with you. 
And the psalmist is experiencing this this uh, nearness of God, but we are at an advantage where we're. Uh, it's like the psalmist is seeing something, a picture through, but it's a blurry picture. But with the New Testament and with Jesus Christ, we're seeing it through that filter. We're seeing the psalm with the filter of Jesus in the New Testament, so we can see more clearly. We can see more clearly. And we must remember that we we we, we can trust Jesus. For, uh, we can't trust Jesus from keeping bad things from happening to us, but we can trust him because he has kept the worst thing from happening to us. He, he, he left the best thing. He left the eternal glory and the presence of God. And he came down into the darkness, into our night, into our suffering, shared in our suffering, went to the cross. And on the cross experiences the worst thing, separation from God. So that those who are far from him can be brought near. So that those who forsake him will never be forsaken. So he was cast out of the light so that we can be, so that we will not be cast into the darkness. You know, in, in, in the book, Prayer in the Night, uh, there's this uh, story told of the couple. And this couple is, their son is going to go into surgery and uh, they have no control over the outcome. Uh, they're fearful, they're anxious, uh, and they don't know what to do. And the wife says to her husband, we have to decide right now whether God is good. We have to decide right now whether God is good. We can't wait for the outcome. We have to decide right now whether God is good. And the question of God's goodness is, uh, is something that can't be answered without appealing to doctrine. You know, in, Tish Harrison Warren talks about how in, in the most vulnerable moments of our life, in the most difficult moments of our life, uh, the questions that come up can't be answered without doctrine. Doctrine is unavoidable. And doctrine is basically teaching of the Bible. And so the question that she has about, we have to decide right now whether God is good, uh, has to be answered with doctrine. It can't be answered by experience because if it is going to be answered by experience, Whose experience? Should we look to the experience of somebody who had, somebody who knew someone who had COVID and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and he was healed or she was healed and they got they got them back? Or, or should we go to the experience of the person who knew someone who they loved got COVID and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, but that person wasn't healed and they didn't get them back? So whose experience do we depend on to answer the question whether God is good? See, and when I say doctrine is unavoidable, what it means is the only way we can answer the question of whether God is good is by looking to the experience of God himself. And God himself did not keep the worst thing from happening to him. He did not protect himself from bad things so that he could protect you from the worst things. And that is the best evidence we have that God is good. The Father sent the Son to the cross so that he can bring us to himself. He can bring us into nearness with himself. But it doesn't stop them. I'm going to close with this. But the, there's a nearness that we can experience in the New Testament, after the New Testament, that the psalmist uh, would, would not have experienced in the same way. And that is this. The Father sent the Son to the cross so that the Son could send the Spirit into our hearts. The Spirit of God is given to us to live in our hearts. 
you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was with my counselor, uh, my wife and I were with our counselor, just processing grief and uh, things like that. And uh, she was telling us about how, uh, we, we were telling her about how it's difficult to be trapped in our home when there's people grieving and we don't, we, there's nothing we can do. We can't go to them, we can't pray with them, we can't be with them. And she told us how, you know, uh, God's will is, is discovered within our limitations. So we embrace our limitations that uh, we have 24 hours a day, we have seven days a week. And we accept that and God's will is uh, discovered there, but by embracing our limitations. But it's, it's, it's God's power is revealed when we recognize that he has no limitations. We are isolated from one another, but he's not isolated from us. And if God's spirit lives in you, he is near you so near that he can feel what you feel. He can hear what you hear. He can see what you see. He groans with you. He grieves with you. And he knows what you know. And God's nearness is God's, is, is, the, is the greatest sign of God's goodness in this time. And you think about verse 24 where it says, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. This is what the spirit fulfills. He is our counselor. He's with us and he is the seal that uh, he's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and he will bring us into glory. And my prayer is that uh, God's nearness to you will be real, will be so real in these times. You already have the best thing. It can never be taken away from you. And because you have this best thing, you can endure the bad things until you are finally, safely, truly brought into the eternal thing the beautiful thing that will satisfy all our longings in more ways than we can possibly imagine. And uh, let me close with this thought. Jo Jonathan Edwards uh, says, uh, you know, it, it, when you're in Christ, uh, your bad things will turn out for good. Your good things will never be taken away and your best things are still to come. My prayer is that you will uh, enjoy that and delight in that even in these days. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for giving us your word that gives us the freedom to pray what's in our heart, knowing that you will hear us, that you will receive us, and that you will embrace us, Lord, as we come to you with what's really in our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you don't Tell us to close our eyes to the absurdity we see around. But you tell us to look at it. And also invite us to look beyond it. And to look at it through your filter or through your lens and through your eyes. And I pray for all of us, Lord, who feel the futility inside and feel our feelings overwhelm us and our emotions get the best of us. Lord, I pray that you would Help us, Lord, to see that even our feelings that are within us can deceive us, but you will not deceive us, and your word does not deceive us. And I pray, Lord, that we will learn to trust your word and trust your people and uh, have authority over our feelings and not live as those whose feelings have authority over us. 
I thank you, Lord, for this incredible gift of your son who left your presence to be cast out of it so that those of us who have turned away from you, Lord, can be brought back and you can be brought near and that you can send your spirit to live in our hearts and be as near to us as you could possibly be at this time. And you will, through your spirit, keep us and preserve us until we see you face to face and enter your glory. We thank you for all of the richness that we see in scripture and in the gospel and we pray that we would enjoy it. Lord. We would enjoy the hope that we have in these times and be able to endure, be able to persevere by the power of your gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.